And so again, if uh, you have your Bibles, please turn at this time to Colossians, uh, Colossians chapter 2. Now, for some of us who have got better memories than me, you'll remember that three weeks ago we began to look at uh, the subject of how do you get the juice out of an orange? Well, I've run out of orange juice, so I can't show that uh, to us um, this morning. But you see, see, the, the reality is, is we're not finished on this subject yet, and maybe we've got a bit more to, uh, to consider. But we need to just read these verses together. Um, so Colossians chapter 2, uh, starting at verse 6. As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. If you remember, that was the main part of the text that we looked at and focused, um, uh, as I say, three weeks ago. And thank you, by the way, for Joe and I to be able to have some holiday. It was much appreciated. But then the verse goes on and says, So walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, as you have been taught abounding in it with thanksgiving. And so the two words that we want to look at this morning are the words taught and thanksgiving. They're the two parts of the section of this uh, scripture, this verse that we need to look at. Um, I remember my parents coming home from a, uh, one of those open evenings at school. Uh, the ones that we as children would always dread because the, par- the parents would meet the teachers and the teachers would sometimes, you know, like tell the truth, okay, as to what the situation was. And, uh, and I'm sure some of you will be able to agree with, with, uh, uh, with the teacher who made this point. He's almost unteachable, okay? <laughs> and as I said, you don't want to hear things like that about you. And, and maybe this morning... As we're beginning to talk about this, you need to start thinking, what is it the scriptures are saying here? And it says, you need to be teachable. All right? That's part of the verse that we have here. And if we're not teachable, then we've got a problem. And one of the things that we see increasingly in, uh, in churches today is the fact that people are not teachable. There was actually somebody that uh, was associated with this church. They're not here, so there's no no problems or worries. And uh, I found I needed to talk to a previous uh, pastor to find out some of the situations because it was difficult. And you know what his words were? He said, she's not teachable. She won't listen. I've tried. She's not interested. Because it's so imperative that we're prepared, as the scriptures say, to be able to be taught, to be able to grow. Uh, So a bit of recap. You know, it's wonderfully true that Jesus saves. Amen. (laughs) Jesus saves us. And that's what the children with the songs and so on that they've been uh, singing. And it is a wonderful truth that Jesus saves. But if that's all we think of him then what is it that we have tended to reduce Jesus to? Simply a servant. And a servant to serve us. And the verse that we read, if you had noticed, said a lot more than that. And we spoke about it uh, three weeks ago. And if you remember, John, when he went up to play the piano, he didn't play the hymn that we were going to play. He played the hymn, He is Lord. Because the verse says, As you therefore have received Jesus Christ the Lord... So, 
walk in him. And I hope and pray that all of us here today understand the concept of the lordship of Jesus Christ. This means that we submit all to him. Now, these are not my words, this is the scriptures. And so many of us are just prepared to submit the things that we're prepared to give to Jesus. To give to God. But the scripture instructs us to give all to him. And I think uh, R.G. Tornu, what a wonderful testimony, that man. How much of the money, which is God's, all of it, should I have? Now, that's a different way of thinking about it, isn't it? If you're not someone who tithes, who gives regularly to God, and I'm not talking about 10% or whatever, we give to him what is his and what we can afford, you will be amazed at the blessing that comes into our lives because suddenly we've gone from a selfish perspective to one that says, God, this is all to you. This is all yours. And then we, are, we can be amazed at what happens. So doing things for me rather than going beyond to recognize that he is Lord because that's who he is. Jesus is Lord. And when we come... Uh, to the section of Scripture this morning, we discover there's so much that we have to learn. But the first thing that we see is that when Jesus comes and inhabits our lives, as Paul wrote in Romans 14, verse 9, he says that Christ died and was raised for life, that he might be Lord of both the living and the dead. He was already Lord in terms of his status as a person, his position in the universe, but the Lord Jesus Christ has to be Lord in the life of us, of each and every man, woman, young person here this morning. And Paul says, how are you going to get the juice out of the orange if you want to live this effective life, this life effectively? Well, it all happens when we recognize that we can only live on the basis, can anybody remember, I can't but... He can. Now, I hope and pray that you've also, during the course of the last few weeks, as, as, uh, uh, as we had um, a cousin of, of my wife speak and as Randy was speaking, but I hope we haven't forgotten that. I can't, but he can. And so when you get up in the morning, and when I do, and I've, I've got into the little habit of this, if you look in the mirror and you think to yourself, Lord, I can't. You know, I, I, I can't live for you today. There's no way I can unless he lives in me. And when he lives in me, he lives out his life in me. And that's the only way that I can have the mind of Christ. That's the only way I can live the life because I can't do it on my own. So tomorrow morning when you get up and you look in the mirror and you see yourself, and you get your hair sorted out. I count each day just to see how many have dropped out since the last time I looked. And, and you think, and you realize to yourself, I can't, he can. I can't, he can. So there's all the hope we need. I can't do it, but he can do it. Does he want to do it? Of course he wants to do it. So he comes into our hearts, into our lives, and he does it for us. But we have to submit to him. The hindrance is not that God says, oh, I'm tired today. You know, I've got lots of people on the go at the moment and there's no more room. No, 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 no. The hindrance is always 
us, always us. Now, if you can remember that we're considering the truth and uh, the message that we had two weeks ago, this is the final part of the message because there was one astute person who sent to me uh, two weeks ago, uh, three weeks ago, he said, well, you only gave us two points and you said there were going to be four. Well, the reason there was only two is that we ran out of time and we were too long anyway. And so we've got the other two and we'll be very, very brief with them because they are shorter and uh, to the point. But if you can remember also, we decided that what we wanted to do was to look at the truth first. You know, what it is to be a believer, what it is to know the Lord Jesus living in us. Because that's the genuine Christian life. But the problem is that there is what we call the pseudo-Christian life. There's the false Christian life that's floating around. And it's got lots of things that people think are wonderful about it. It's easier for a start. It's not so personal. And we discover that there are many people that are prepared to live the pseudo-Christian life, the false Christian life, because on the surface it looks quite good on the surface it's got some good things about it but the problem is it's not centered around the work and person of Jesus Christ you can pretend all you want to be a Christian but if you don't know Jesus you're not a Christian if you haven't come to faith in him then you are not saved and there are so many people who have failed to understand the very basic tenets a man said to me that he's been reading um, uh, Oswald Chambers um, my utmost for his highest And he said, Sim, I read this statement. He said, Oswald Chambers says that repentance is the foundation of our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, what does that mean? Now, you'd be amazed how many people have thought to themselves, I can have the blessings, but I don't have to repent. I don't have to have a change of mind, a change of heart, a change of direction. In other words, I can live that false life by pretending to do everything that's right and that will see me into heaven and it won't. But we decided to begin to look at the truth because if you can remember, the guys that are taught to look for fake, uh, fake banknotes, okay, what they do is they don't give them a load of, of, um, of fake notes to look at first of all. To train them, they are given the real thing and they handle it. They give them a wad of 20s, you know, $100 bills or whatever. They feel it. They look at it. They smell it. They fold it up. They crease it. They do whatever they can. And suddenly they discover that they have become so familiar with what the real thing is, is that when they feel a false one instantly in their fingers, they know it's not real. And that should be how we as believers should be the minute we come across <coughs> excuse me <clears throat> the minute we come across somebody who says did god really say don't you think you're taking this too seriously did you really think that god wants you to live that way let's go and have some fun and instantly you know that it's not real and then, of course, it can be taken to a stage further. Somebody can say to you, well, the gospel, um, I think, you know, it really means this. And instantly, again, you know that somebody is trying to tell you something that isn't real, something that's fake and phony. So what we're doing uh, last uh, week, two weeks ago, and today we're looking at the truth. So three weeks ago, we began to look at the true Christian life and what it's based on. 
And the overriding lesson that we began to learn is that I can't, but he can. And if you go away and you remember those words, that will be a great blessing to you. I can't, but he can. Because there are times when we convince ourselves that we can do it. Remember our text, as you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, established in the faith, as you have been taught and abounding in it with all thankfulness and thanksgiving. The way that you received him is the way that you live him. Did you save yourself? No, you didn't. He saved you. Did you bring salvation into your life? No, you didn't. Did you pick yourself up by your bootstraps and make yourself into a better person? Well, you tried. But you couldn't make yourself good enough for God. No, It's only he that makes us good enough. God saved you through Jesus Christ. And this is the only way that you can live the Christian life. And then, as you received him, so walk in him. You couldn't do it. He can. So this is the way that we walk and the way that we live the Christian life. People say to me, I've tried and it's hopeless. And I just sort of keep, you know, wanting this to hit my head sometimes because we keep talking about the same thing. You can't. But he can. And then the second point that we considered was that we have to receive Jesus Christ as Lord, not just as a servant. We serve him. Yes, Jesus came to serve and he was described as the servant king. But our text reminds us that we have to receive Jesus as Lord. This means submitting to him in everything. And this morning, I know time is short, so we're going to look very briefly at the next two points in this series looking at the true Christian life. And the third point, Paul says, is this. As you receive Jesus Christ as Lord, continue to live in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught. Now he says, you're not going to live the Christian life by osmosis. Now there's a technical word I had to look up and just make sure I understood what it means if there's any young people that are studying biology and stuff at school you'll know what osmosis is but there's another description that we have for it and osmosis is just this sort of concept that it just happens you know it just sort of comes in to you Um, the things of God just appear inside you they just suddenly start to happen you suddenly start to feel that they're coming in to you but that's not what the Bible says That's not what we're taught. The process of this sort of gradual or unconscious assimilation of ideas and knowledge, etc., is not what the Scriptures speak about. You see, it doesn't just happen. Coming to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, He saves us. But then we have to learn, we have to grow, we have to be taught, and we have to learn. The scriptures tell us that we have to be instructed. You need to be taught, taught, and to submit our lives to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And to submit our lives to the Word of Christ. And you can't separate the two. 
Later in Colossians 3 verse 16 we read, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your heart to the Lord. Now he says, let the word of God dwell in you richly. And as we cannot live the Christian life detached from the activity of the living Lord Jesus Christ himself within us, nor can we live the Christian life detached from the word of God dwelling in us. Again, the number of people that I come across and they talk about, I'll listen perhaps for an hour to all the problems and difficulties. I've got a guy who phones me up almost daily. And he, and he calls, my, my wife's grinning at this particular point because he often calls her and gets her out of bed. And he just won't learn. He doesn't let the word of God dwell richly. So, how does this happen? Well, Paul says, as you teach and admonish, So what we need to do is to be in a place where we can learn, where we can sit under the teaching of God's Word. And as far as I can see, the primary reason in the New Testament for churches meeting and coming together is that we come together to learn. Yes, there's a variety of reasons perhaps that we come together, but the primary reason is to be taught and to be instructed. And Paul actually goes on and says, teach them and admonish one another with all wisdom and as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. That's in Colossians 3 uh, verse 16. Now the reason why we sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs is not just to make God feel good about himself by telling him how much we love him. Of course, that's fine. But it is actually in singing songs and hymns, and we've had a great example of this with the Bible Club. How do you get the messages over to the children? To the leaders. Because guess what? Our kids are singing these songs as we drive around in the car. And the children that have gone home who don't have parents that will back up and talk to them about these things, they too are singing the songs as they go home. And they're trying to do the actions and they're trying to get right. And here it is in the scriptures. Singing songs and hymns and spiritual songs that we are learning and teaching one another the things of God. And that's why we're so grateful. Um, I don't know whether it's uh, Keith and Christine Getty that wrote Behold Our God. It could be uh, Stuart Townend and others who write some of the songs and hymns that we sing that are absolutely full of doctrine. And if, if we're struggling to read our Bibles, then maybe the, the songs stick in our minds, full of truth. And many, many times in my own experience, and I'm sure it's yours too, that it's been a song or a hymn that has come to mind. And it reminds you of the great truth that God has for you in your life. And suddenly you begin to put the pieces together as you have heard and as you have sung those together. We don't just sing to get into the mood as some kind of appetizer to the main course. We sing to teach and to instruct And that is why our songs need to be doctrinally rich. That's why people like Charles Wesley, uh, his hymns have stood the test of time. We love to sing, and can it be that I should gain an interest in the Savior's blood? Remember the verse that talks about, I'm in a dungeon, 
and, and the light infuses itself and my chains fall off and I am free because it explains to us the gospel. And so Paul says, as you receive him, so live in him. Live in him on the basis of repentance and faith. You receive him as Lord, live under his lordship. And you are strengthened in the faith as you are taught. But we need to make sure we're teachable. To do that, we've got to turn up. We've got to be part of a fellowship. We need to be committed. Bible studies, you know, great on a Sunday morning. Come the middle of the week, 5% turn up. And that's on a good, on a good week. We need to be teachable. We need to come prepared to learn. So you must bring yourself consciously and deliberately under the teaching of God's word. And if you don't come to church, how can you do this? How can you learn from others? It's great to be able to tune in and watch stuff online. And we all do that. I do it. All of us do. But at the end of the day to be part of a group of people and to hear the word of God being read and being spoken about is so important. And then the fourth and final thing of this uh, initial part of this series, because next week we're going to look at the false things. Now that's an interesting subject, isn't it? But we're going to look at them because we need to make sure that we can sense and recognize them. So the fourth thing he says here is that you need to be rooted and built on him. Verse 7, it says, established in the faith as you have been taught, abounding in it with thankfulness. Now, what an interesting word thank you is. I'm continually telling my children that particularly when they go out, but at home, they perhaps have been invited out and I'll say to them, don't forget your P's and Q's. And I think, what's P's and Q's? Okay, please and thank you. Okay, don't forget your P's and Q's. That's what my mother told me. And when you go out, it's always impressive uh, to the other person if, if you remember to say please, if you remember to say thank you. And here we are in the scriptures. Do you realize just how important the word thankfulness is? In fact, thankfulness is a key theme in the New Testament. A little bit later in Colossians 3 verse 17, Paul says, Whatever you do, whatever in word or deed, do it in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Whatever you do, he says, do it in this spirit of thanksgiving, of giving thanks. Now, why is it so important? Well, it's very simply this. Thankfulness is acknowledgement of our dependence upon someone. Thankfulness is our acknowledgement of dependence upon someone. You, you only say thank you to someone when they've done something for you. Okay? So someone holds the door open for you. Right? In the old days, all the guys used to hold the door open for the girls to walk through. Okay? I don't know if they do that anymore these days. Things have changed, okay? But if I was to hold the door or, or if someone holds the door open for me to walk through, I'll always say thank you to the person. Because in those few minutes, I'm saying, you've done something for me. You've held the door open for me. I can walk through. And that person has done that. So when the scriptures say that we need to be thankful, what it is it's saying to us is that we need to acknowledge our dependence upon God. 
That's what thankfulness is. Thankfulness is a key ingredient in the Christian life because it's acknowledging God. Thank you, God. Thank you for all that you've done for me. I don't deserve it. I can't understand it. But I want to say thank you. And if we're not thankful, it means that we are not depending upon God because we'll only ever thank him if we find ourselves to be dependent upon him. You know, the language of faith is not please. Now, I meet some people who are obviously confused about this. They keep wanting things from God, and they're great, uh, perhaps people who are prepared to, to say, you know, please, I want this. God, please do this for me. And their whole prayer life is just made up of please, 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 I want, I want. When the reality is, is that the scriptures talk about the fact that we should be thankful. The language of faith is thankful, is thank you. Read the prayers of the Lord Jesus. He never said please to his father, but he constantly gave thanks to his father for all that his father had done for him when he fed at the uh, loaves and the fish to 5,000 people, as the uh, kids learned this last week. Where does our Lord begin? By saying thank you. And then he looks to heaven, he says thank you, and then he breaks the bread, and he breaks the fish, and he feeds 5,000 people. But it all begins by saying thankful. Now, it doesn't mean when he said the grace... Because interestingly, in John 6, it says that later they came back to the place where the 5,000 had been fed. And in John 6, 23, some boats we read from boats from Tiberias landed in the place where the people had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. Now, if I was John writing a narrative on that, I would have said they came back to the place where the Lord had fed the multitude. And after the Lord had fed the multitude, after the Lord had turned the five loaves and two fish into enough to feed 5,000. But John says, no, this is the place where he gives thanks. He gives thanks. I noticed Judy's here this morning. You know, Judy, one of the greatest lessons that your dear husband gave to me was to say thank you. And I remember early on that morning and he, and he just spoke about it and then went through the examples in scripture and so I'm grateful to Bruce for part of the message this morning at least because he said always always be thankful for everything that God gives to you and brings to you and so it's a joy to see you here and I appreciate that because it was a great lesson that uh, he had given. And you know what? It's a good thing to make the habit of not eating your food without giving thanks. Because it's something that reminds you of what God has done for you. Jesus was saying, thank you. Jesus was saying, Father, this is your situation. All these people, this is your situation. And in saying thank you, he's saying, I'm dependent upon you to feed these people. I trust you. 
At the grave of Lazarus, he says, Father, I thank you that you hear me. In the upper room, our Lord, and this one challenges us and prepares us now as we come to gather around this table this morning. In the upper room, he took the bread and he broke it. And incredibly, our Lord Jesus says, thank you. This is my body. Broken. This is, this is my blood shed. Thank you. Can you imagine? He knew all that was taking place. And he said, thank you. Our Lord said, thank you. This is my blood, the blood of the new covenant given for you. Father, thank you. What is he saying? He's saying, Father, this is out of my court. But I trust you. And I thank you. And this spirit of thankfulness permeates the entire New Testament. Colossians 3.17, whatever you do, give thanks to the Father through him. Colossians 1.12, Paul prays, give thanks to the Father who qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Colossians 3.16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with all wisdom as you sing psalms, hymns, spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. In that spirit of gratitude and thankfulness. You see, saying thank you is passing it over to God. Thank you. So how do you get the juice out of the orange? Recognize, as I receive him, so I live in him. I can't, he can we do this on the basis of our own bankruptcy. We've got nothing to give. Nothing at all. Everything we had, we thought we had, is gone. I turn and I trust him. I can't, he can. I can't, he can. I live under his lordship. I bring myself under the instruction of the word of God. If you don't do that, you will struggle. Your Christian life will be weak, anemic, and you'll fail to be somebody who learns and grows. And I live in a spirit of thankfulness because you've recognized that only He can do it. Now that's the nature of true spiritual life and growth. I can't, but he can, and we rejoice in that.